trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. I don't know if you tuned in today to see if there would be answers to the world's great problems, questions. The, the, the honest answer is yes, there are solutions. Now, the unpopular answer is those solutions begin with you and me and not with voting the right person into office or, you know, following the right party or otherwise uh, some other top-down solution. Therefore, it's not going to be a real popular solution. But I'm okay with that. My goal is and always will be impact as opposed to, uh, hey, let's get a message out there that everybody can feel warm and fuzzy about and agree with and, you know, run with. Because frankly, when, when you have to, if you have to dumb a message down enough that the masses absolutely find it acceptable, you're doing something wrong. I know, let that one sink in for just a second. It's like, really? Yeah, but think about this. What do the masses really want? I'm talking the, the average person on the street. And I'm, I'm, I'm really not trying to marginalize them as somebody you ought to be contemptuous of. Just the average person, though is not looking for, um, they're not looking for hard truth or at least factual truth. I know there are maskists out there. He says, tell me some hard truths. Ooh, oh, that hurts. Yeah, yeah, tell me another one. You know, the average person is just looking for pats on the back. They're looking for affirmation. They're looking for, you know, something that affirms that, that sense of self and validation that they need. By the way, we're going to be spending some time talking about uh, injected narcissism. And how that's been affecting us, you know, as, as not only in American society, but a number of other first world societies as well. But the bottom line is this. The solutions do not come from the top down. Even organizations, even movements that get started with, well, we're going to fix this, have a tendency to get uh, co-opted and misdirected along the way. Does anybody remember the Tea Party movement from a few years back? Well intended. A lot of folks showed up, well, yeah, you know, I'm upset about this. I, you know, I think government ought to be limited to its specific roles and shouldn't be taxing us and regulating us out of existence, blah, blah, blah. But then here came a bunch of politicians and co-opted it for themselves. Well, I'm a Tea Party member, too, and they just happen to be the same ones who built the system that people are, you know, were protesting against. But, hey, you find a parade and start marching in front of it, people might actually believe, well, who's meant to be there? That's what happened with the Tea Party. So, again, the solutions are going to start closer to home than we think. And if you can get your mind around that, climb on in. Welcome aboard. We're going to enjoy this journey together. It's, it's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be, you know, just a simple one-and-done solution. You're serious about being a better person. You're serious about giving a better world to your children than the one that you were born into. That's going to take some effort. But here's the kicker. It's going to be different for each and every one of us. Why is it that so many people go along, though, with, with the common narrative? Well, we're all in this together. We all got to do this. We all got to think this way. Yes, of course, I stand with Israel. Why would anybody do anything but? Okay, Because they're, they're not sure or they don't quite recognize the degree of centralization 
in their thinking as well as many other things in their world. This is where I love the take of Paul Rosenberg. Six reasons why centralization is a bad thing. He says, the other day a friend contacted me looking for an article that explained why centralization is bad. Now, Paul says, at first I was, I was sure there had to be many articles, but he says, I came up dry. So, like a, like a good self-actuated person, instead of waiting for someone to write the right article for him or just persevering until he found something that was close enough, he wrote the article himself. I want you to note that example. Now, he says, the odd thing about centralization is that people expect its bad aspects to be external things like economic issues. But he says those aren't the most important things. If the internal effects of centralization were recognized and if we did something about them, all the outer problems would vanish with them. But he says, since everyone is expecting economic reasons, let's start there. Okay, so the first thing that centralization does is it disrupts price discovery. Now, that sounds exotic, but what it means is this. Whenever headquarters decides to meddle in business transactions, large sections of the marketplace are thrown out of order. The biggest offenders in this area were the 20th century socialist states. Now, he says, I'm not sure exactly how many people died, mainly of starvation, from their economic experiments, but that number is in the range of 100 million people. He's not wrong. Professor R.J. Rummel would back him up on this. He actually coined the phrase democide, death by government. Nonetheless, what Paul Rosenberg is saying here is prices are not just numbers. They're crucial information. How many separate prices, for example, go into the delivery of a pencil to your local store? Wood, graphite, lacquer, the pigment for the lacquer, the machines that mix and apply the lacquer, the machines that cut the trees into small pieces of wood, the trucks that move the materials, the cost of hiring the drivers, the cost of the tires, and so on at great length. In fact, he recommends you read the essay, I Pencil, by Leonard Reed. Once the political boss says pencils should cost X, all these costs are pushed and shoved accordingly. Changes have to be made, corners are cut, or scrambles for the extra few cents begin. But the bottom line is the process is disrupted, and you can be sure that the quality of pencils will decline, fewer will appear, and or the various suppliers will fight like crazy. Now, in the end... This delivers big problems, like the aforementioned starvation. And by the way, it wasn't the bosses who starved. It was the poor and powerless. You know, the the people the bosses love and serve. So disrupting price discovery is really, really bad. Number two, he talks about how centralization robs you. Centralization creates a large, growing set of people who eat and generally grow rich at the expense of everyone else. Every dollar that goes to Capital City is money that's extracted from you and your neighbors. That's why when you hear politicians talking about, we got to get back to the business of the people, we've got to get a Speaker of the House elected in Congress so that we can get back to the business of the people. What exactly is that business of the people that they're talking about? Right? The people they love and serve. Getting back to the business of the people is figuring out ways to spend the money that has been earned or the value that has been produced by the people who are part of the productive sector of society. I know it sounds sleazy, doesn't it? It is. So let's start calling it what it is. Number three, central bosses try to show they're necessary. Now listen to this next point. He's he's absolutely on target here. Paul Rosenberg asks, did you ever notice that politicians are forever creating new fears? 
And why? Because solving those fears, even if they're mostly imaginary, makes them seem necessary. It reminds us why we need them. From this, we get any number of disasters, especially wars. Fear sells, but war is a tremendous spectacle, and it makes all the centralizers look necessary. Yeah, too bad about those dead guys. Number four, he says, centralization limits you. Centralized power solving our fears requires an ever-increasing number of laws. And each law is a restriction of some kind. So pretty soon you can't do half the things you could a couple of decades before. You want to try a fun thought experiment sometime? Sit down with your kids or with your grandkids. And talk about what are the things that I could do when I was a kid that would get you arrested if you did it today. You'd be surprised how many things that are a police matter now that that never would have been when we were young. As Paul Rosenberg puts it, pretty soon there's a law for every problem and a department to solve it. Address it yourself, well, you're likely to get hurt. So, to keep us safe from our professionally cultivated fears, that means your kid can't run a lemonade stand without a license. It means your older aunt can't watch the neighbor kids. And God help you if you try to give a lost child a ride home. Bottom line is, centralization is a straitjacket restraining not just our bodies, but also our souls. Now, he goes on to talk about uh, how centralization kills cooperation. How does it do that? Very simple. There are rules for everything. So you can no longer cooperate with your neighbor because you enjoy it. No, you cooperate because it's commanded by law and you'll be punished if you don't. Have you noticed people yearning for the old days and talking about small rustic communities where the people still look out for each other? Well, Paul Rosenberg says they're right to yearn for that. Because it's a very healthy way to live, and it's centralization that stole it from us. I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit here because we're coming up on our first break, but does this not make sense? This is why any solution that I think could could be viable in helping to extricate us from, you know, the, the jaws of Leviathan, it's going to start with decentralization, breaking up. All that power and all that control consolidated in just a few hands. And without asking permission, just simply living our lives as we should. You want to give the neighbor's kid a haircut for 10 bucks, but you don't have your cosmetology license? Okay, that should be between you and your neighbor. Now, if you do a crappy job, first of all, it'll grow back, but it doesn't need to be a matter of uh, state involvement. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing with you this article from Paul Rosenberg on why centralization is bad. Six reasons why centralization is not a good thing. Now, the cool thing about this is you can decentralize as many things as possible in your life and probably come out ahead. And the best part about that is you don't have to ask permission. Wanted to give you one final reason why centralization is bad. According to Paul Rosenberg, he says centralization is bad because it robs you of self-worth. This is kind of a follow-on from the idea of centralization kills cooperation. He says, what happens inside you when you help people because you, by yourself, give a damn? 
And he says, I think we all know the answer. You become a better, happier, more beneficial person. You know you did a good thing and you feel good about yourself. Every time you do the right thing because it's mandated by law, guess what? You're being, you're being robbed of self-worth and self-improvement. And your neighbors and friends are robbed of your improved state. You got to think about that one for just a moment. Well, how, how does this make me a bad person if, if, uh, if I'm, you know, just, if I'm not doing things voluntarily, if I'm doing things because I have a duty to do so? Because virtue cannot be coerced. That's why. It just, it can't. You want to be a virtuous person? Here's what you've got to be. A person who is capable of being a very wicked, uncontrolled person who chooses to control himself or herself and to do the right thing when they could choose to do otherwise. I think I've heard Jordan Peterson talk about this, or at least a variant of this, about the idea of, you know, a dangerous man is not a guy who is incapable of doing harm. A dangerous man can be a good man. I'm sorry. A good man is not a a guy who's incapable of doing harm. He says a good man is a very dangerous individual who chooses to keep that danger or that, uh, that ability under control. It's all got to, it's all got to start with you. So the question that Paul Rosenberg has is, have we had enough? He says, maybe you thought of a couple items you could add to my list, but those six reasons why centralization is bad, that's a good start. And the conclusion he comes to is this. Centralization is anti-human. It's the enemy of innate goodness and progress. Because what supports centralization is a steady stream of fears, most of which are imaginary. So, he asks, have we had enough? Can we ditch this now? Can we start living as adults? Interesting take, wouldn't you say? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, from here, segue into another key to get peace of mind. One of them is to decentralize, do as much for yourself as you can. I'm not saying it's the easier way. I'm just saying it's the better way. And you will feel better as a result of doing it as opposed to wait, sitting back and waiting for someone in authority to tell you what to do. But one of the keys to enjoying a little peace of mind these days is to recognize the various narratives that we are being told we must believe. Gary Barrett, Barnett, rather, has a uh, terrific essay on lewrockwell.com about the risks we face in a world gone mad. State narratives are always lies. And I love that he starts with a quote to H.L. Mencken. People do not expect to find chastity in a whorehouse. Why then do they expect to find honesty and humanity in government? A congeries of institutions whose modus operandi consists of lying, cheating, and, if need be, murdering those who resist. And I love how Gary Barnett says, by the way, apologies to prostitutes who are far above any politician. He says, I think it's appropriate to outline some of the multitude of risks we face in this world consumed by lies. Listen to this list. The dishonesty pursued and perpetuated by all government uses false cause and effect to not only fool the people, but to use the initial lie of cause in order to gain the premeditated evil effect they seek. This is without question, as any viewing of history, past or present, will certainly bear out, as we live in a time of pure deceit, lies, manipulation, control, terror, and murder by the state. All states. So he says, let us reflect on some of the atrocities that have befallen us. 
the fault of which certainly falls on the ruling class of oligarchs, politicians, and their brutal enforcers in the police, military, and so-called the hideous so-called intelligence services. But it also falls on all those who make up the masses who've allowed this to happen without active resistance. This indifference is more acute today on a global scale than at any other time in history. That's not only disheartening, but also completely pathetic. First, he says, it's important to point out that these atrocities committed over the span of human existence by rulers and government, with the assistance and allowance of the general populations, say little about the supposed good of man. Yes, many have been fooled, but how can so many be fooled for so long, thousands of years, in fact? He says, this situation seems impossible. But one look at today should quiet any who still believe that most men desire to be free and without aggression. Whew, that one stings, but it's true. Certainly the masses have been purposely dumbed down and indoctrinated so that less resistance is evident. But once again, this was voluntarily accepted by general populations. So, honesty and logic would indicate that if only a, mi a minor majority dissented, said no to governing structures, no to aggression, and would not support any violent activity, aggression, or orders mandated by the state, the tyranny would end very quickly. Sadly, he says that's never happened. Therefore, we find ourselves in the worst possible situation, one that guarantees the most deadly risk to our lives. Because evil has always been with us. Because rulers have always been chosen to lord over others. Because war has been the health of the state since the beginning. It is necessary that we look only at recent times where tyranny on a worldwide scale advanced everywhere and all at once, indicating a completely coordinated effort by the global governing cult. Now you can guess where he's going to start, right? 2020, when the biggest push for, for world domination by the few began in earnest. This was the time, and still is in many regards, of the, fo the fake COVID scam and the bioweapons injections dishonestly... Uh, referred to as vaccinations. This false flag event brought nationwide and worldwide lockdowns, all in concert, mandated or forced distancing from family, friends, and neighbors, mandated mask wearing, forced quarantines, isolation from cherished loved ones was enforced with a vengeance in many cases. Businesses were ordered closed around this nation and around the world, except, of course, those multi-billion dollar corporations and defense or offense contractors said by the state to be essential. Job loss was horrendous, as so many were eliminated temporarily or fired as many businesses closed due to this extreme tyranny, and many jobs were permanently lost. So on the heels of this madness, injection of poison became mandatory if job security were to be kept. These toxic, experimental, life-changing, extremely deadly shots were pushed on all populations and in many cases were forced, even at times by violent means and without consent. Gary Barnett says this evil has caused massive health risks, sickness, paralysis, heart problems, stroke, blood clots, and death. In addition, and due to mRNA, DNA altering, and lethal nanopart nanoparticle inundation, no one knows for certain what the long-term effects are going to bring. What control will be implemented from outside the body by technocrats, or how much mass death will result. He says, in the midst of this totally immoral attack on humanity, economies were purposely destroyed. Fake money creation was rampant, and therefore inflation went ballistic, affecting most everyone. The resulting price increases have been devastating, but this is just the beginning. 
Food prices soared as supplies were intentionally cut off. Supply lines decimated. Home prices doubled or tripled in a short period of time, effectively closing off home ownership to most normal people. And with this came pre-planned rioting, the burning of cities, looting, theft, gangs of criminals calling themselves Black Lives Matter and Antifa committing acts of terror. Now organized gangs of thieves are allowed to destroy and steal without risk of prosecution. Squatters are protected while property owners are abused. Civil unrest is widespread and crime is skyrocketing. Gary Barnett says many don't feel safe in their own homes or on the streets of their towns and cities. This has all been accepted and sanctioned by this government scum, which intentionally condones and allows for such behavior. We'll come back to his article, just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. We're talking about the risks we face in a world gone mad. State narratives are always lies. This is an essay by Gary Barnett. He talks about the government and media's push for illicit behavior. This one, uh, you know, shouldn't be too hard to figure out, right? The transgender movement staged for our entertainment. Destruction of all males, especially white males, to be followed by the destruction of females as well, so as to have a gender-neutral society. The airwaves, sporting events, media publications and promotion, political support, all worldwide and all at once, were in lockstep concerning this insanity of a so-called movement that's a fraction of 1% of any population. It's an obvious attempt to advance agendas of division and at the same time undermine all morality of the bulk of all societies. That is, as, that is if any morality has survived the onslaught of this demented hysteria. Then we have multiple suspicious train derailments with horrific chemical spills, intentionally set fires, either arson or microwave-caused destruction worldwide in places like California, Canada, Hawaii, Greece, Turkey, China, and many others. Metal and chemical sprayings to supposedly block sunlight is ongoing, and in every corner of the planet, weather engineering is rampant, it seems, manipulating extreme events blamed on fake man-made climate change. He says the digitization of life is ongoing as monetary systems and fake fiat currency systems are meant to fail in favor of fully trackable digital currency. Central banks worldwide are never are rather on, completely on board and the destruction and elimination of cash and real money is never ending. Central bank digital currency, CBDC fake money meant only for control over humanity is advancing continuously and most seem unconcerned. The widespread implementation of this in and of itself would, implement, would eliminate freedom, rather. And then, of course, there's always war. Most recently, the escalation of a fake war was undertaken in Ukraine in what looks to be a U.S. and CIA operation with involvement with the Israeli and government and Mossad. Now, he says, I think the same is not only likely, but certain with this false flag attack in Israel. It's impossible to know all the truth because the lies inundate all news and political conversations. So suffice to say, this is exactly the plan, as this horrible situation is leading to mass genocide of the Palestinian people in Gaza, all by design. But the risk is so much more deadly as we now face regional war in the entire Middle East, and very possibly a new world war involving Iran. 
due, the, due to the evil U.S. warmongering government and unconditional support of Zionist Israel, this could vast, vastly escalate. Involving not only Iran and other Middle Eastern states, but also NATO forces, Russia, and China. I know, he says, nothing but hell could come from something as evil as this. Just keep in mind that this is very much a partial list of atrocities that have been committed in just the past four years. Much happened before, and much will happen in the future. This can only cause threat, terror, and death to millions, if not billions, of people. Has that been the plan all along, or is everything a consequence of unexpected events? He says the former is all that makes sense. And this should be understood by any who still retain any ability to think and reason critically, which sadly is still just the very few. The state and those who control it lie incessantly, cheat, steal, pervert, incarcerate, torture, and murder any that are in its way. It has no use for any people. It's evil to the core, and it will use fodder of any and all of humanity in order to advance its nefarious globalist agendas. So, evil should be squelched. It should be eliminated wherever wherever it appears, and taking sides of states or governments in brutal war is the antithesis of any advancement of freedom, sanity, and morality. Any reinforcement of government or the state or its policies and wars is condoning evil says Gary Barnett, and therefore he says it is evil. That's going to be a hard truth for some, especially where Israel is concerned because there's, there's this reflexive, you know, well, Israel's in trouble. We got we to gotta support that. Again, you'll, you'll see how well your moral compass is tuned, not because you got to turn around and hate Israel, but you should be able to recognize that, you know, dropping military explosives on innocent people in order to try to get the bad people, it's no more palatable when Israel does it than it is when the U.S. does it. And it's no more palatable when the U.S. does it than it is when ISIS or some other group does it. That's the connection very few people are able to make. Any reinforcement of government or the state or its policies or wars is condoning evil and therefore is evil. Yes, there are always great casualties, mostly innocent. But by taking sides, support is being given to the monsters who perpetrate terror. Individuals should be on the side of self and other innocent individuals, never with the state or nation state. Again, that's, a, that's an almost impossible sell when we have a really bad case of 9-11 mind taking hold among the public. Now, Gary Barnett says no political solution exists and, in fact, can only make things much worse. Asking your master to save you, to reform, to lessen his power, to investigate himself, and to actually punish himself, that's the mindset of a fool. So supporting any politician, any election, or any state is the manifestation of a fallen and enslaved people. Trump, Biden, Netanyahu, or any other political trash will never solve these problems. So quit giving them the power they seek to destroy you. Instead, destroy them and their ability to rule over you, says Gary Barnett. The authorities? The authorities, I laughed. Why is it people think the authorities are some form of gods with either great justice or great cunning evil rather than the same plotting fools they see in their daily lives and most of all in their mirrors? That's a quote from Richard Ben Sapir. So there you have it. That's uh, Gary D. Barnett the risk we face in a world gone mad, or how state narratives are always lies. By the way, kind of an interesting and disturbing 
article that uh, popped up the other day. This is from the University of Virginia. The headline says, Americans say to meet political agendas, rights may be left behind. So here's, you know, if you're looking for a little finger on the pulse of, well, but how do they really feel out there? Well, here's what the article says. Americans are willing to give up some constitutional rights like freedom of speech to maintain what they believe is best for their political party. A new nationwide study by the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia shows. The study also paints a clear picture of how much suspicion exists between party faithful, political party faithful, that is, with roughly 7 in 10 respondents agreeing at least somewhat that electing officials from the opposite party would cause lasting harm to the United States. Larry Sabato, the director of the Center for Politics, said, Our nation's stark divisions are deeply worrying and there is a winner-takes-all mentality that unfortunately can override traditional American values like freedom of speech and and uh, expression. Now, this survey that they're referring to involved 2008 registered voters surveyed between August 25th and September 11th of this year. So it's the initial phase of a series of surveys by the Center for Politics Project Homefire to gauge sentiments as the 2024 presidential race looms. Kyle Kondik, managing editor of Sabato's Crystal Ball at the Center for Politics, said, A big takeaway is that respect for bedrock American values like freedom of speech and expression isn't as strong as it arguably could or should be. A considerable number of Americans seem willing to push or even break legal guardrails if that means getting what they want. Now, of those who answered the survey, 52% said they plan to vote for Biden, 48% for Trump, mirroring the 2020 election results. Biden saw 40% disapproval and 50, 40% approval rather, and 50% disapproval among respondents, while they say Trump had 39% approval and 53% disapproval. Voters leaned toward voting for Democrats over Republicans, 40% to 35%, in all races in 2024, with 25% opting for middle ground prioritizing qualifications over affiliations, according to the survey. They showed about 69% of respondents at least agreed somewhat with the statement, democracy is preferable to any non-democratic form of government. But a significant number had doubts about democracy's future and even the country's future. So, I mean, other places where they felt like, you know, well, we could agree with uh, leaving other rights behind. They included, of course, uh, restricting guns, also suspending elections, wealth redistribution, national symbols of leaders, corporate diversity, presidential powers, protest regulations, monitoring religious groups, patriotism and loyalty. It breaks it all down for you. So what if I were to suggest that maybe the answer isn't so much, well, then we got to focus on getting people in office who do care about these things. Look, I'm just going to be blunt. I don't think we can vote our way out of this. I think that's by design. We're not going to vote our way out. I'm not suggesting, by the way, then pick up a gun and we shoot our way out. No, I'm thinking that we can peacefully separate ourselves by focusing on building what comes next. Do you give much thought to what that's going to look like? How would it be different or even better than the current system that the politicians are running into the ground? If you want to be a problem solver, this is where your mind should be gravitating. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Again, thank you for being a supporter of this program. I never know if I'm doing any good on a day-to-day basis. That's not why I do this. Of How much good have I done today? But I do want to believe that this is providing someone with information that gives them courage and encouragement to continue moving forward, continuing to be a free individual in an increasingly unfree world. Got a great article here from Todd Hyen. And and I, I share this one with you because if we're serious about bringing any kind of normalcy back to an impoverished humanity, one of the things we're going to have to deal with is the self-absorbed culture into which we've been indoctrinated. Todd Hyen is a, uh, I believe he's a clinical psychologist. No, he's a registered psychotherapist operating out of Canada. And I just love his take on this. If you want to see what the common theme is, by the way, between so many of our, our challenges, it comes down to me. Me, me, it's all about me. Anyway, here's how he describes it. He says, along with mRNA coursing through our veins, probably not yours and definitely not mine, there's a good wallop of narcissism. But that didn't only come with the vaccine. They've been injecting that devil's honey into our bodies for quite some time. Now you ask how? And how does it show up in the world? Well, he says, think about it. It's everywhere. We are now taught to worship our individualism. Well, Not really. More on that later. Our uniqueness. Well, okay, not really. More on that later. Our specialness. Okay, well, not really, but more on that later. And our diversity. Again, not really. More on that later. Smoke and mirrors is all it is. More on that later. Now, he says there are so many examples of all this in our culture that it makes the mind spin. And so much of it is just taken for granted. Look at the woke culture. If you could describe that all in one word, what would that word be? Me. Yep, me. In fact, me, 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 me. And if it isn't about me directly, it's about you looking at me and you telling me what I want to hear, not what is truthful, but what me wants to hear. I'd say he's nailed it. Call me by the proper pronoun. Do not insult me. Do not prejudice me. Do not criticize me. Do not describe what I am unless you describe me the way I wish to be described. Do not restrict me. Do not oppress me. Do not ask me to do anything. Do not judge me. Do not hurt me. Me, me, me. Todd Hyen says it's your responsibility to look after me, to nurture me, to feed me, to love me, to validate me, to make me happy, to make me feel good, to give me whatever I want, whether I've worked for it or earned it. Me, 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 me. That's narcissism. But he says it's a strange brand of narcissism, a new version of it. And we have it in our culture by the boatload. Do you ever wonder where this idea that everyone's a winner and everyone gets a prize comes from? He says, I remember when I was a kid, and that was a long time ago, some neighborhood mother suggested to my mother that she should give a little gift of her other two children, a little gift to her other two children while celebrating the birthday of the third one. Now he says... I don't think she ever did such a thing because I at least don't remember my jealous crying being calmed with a gift when my sisters got wonderful presents on their birthdays while I got nothing. But I could still be wrong. Still, you get the point. This narcissist feeding and prepping started a long time ago. It's probably a byproduct of the Second World War when the United States, as well as other nations, came home to lick the wounds of physical and psychological rape in Europe and the Pacific. Long gone was the mantra of the the let's toughen them up for a cruel world parental mantra from of previous years. Instead, it was replaced with the sappy, let's go easy on them, poor dears, 
The 1950s saw the start of walking the path toward opulence and well-being, but it was and it was paved with good intentions. The world was still rough, but no need to grind it in. He says the process started slowly, but eventually began to pick up speed. We still heard a lot of this. My kids are going to have a better life than I did. And what better way to lavish on the you are so special conviction than with providing everything that kid could possibly want or need. Now, Todd Hyen asks, what do kids need other than love, shelter, food, and maybe a hand-carved toy to play with when bored? The consume-until-you-die nature of the culture was certainly happy to oblige, rather. But soon, all this was cranked up to include not only material justification, but emotional value validation, rather, as well such as never being on the losing team in sports and other competition. There's a prize for everyone. No child is forgotten. He says the problem is kids never learned the agony of defeat and consequently, consequently rather learned there's no reward for working hard and actually developing any sort of skill or know-how or character, God forbid. Yes, it created a mess. He says, I won't go to any detail about the other stuff, like the whole gender craze, the demand that everyone in the world kowtow to what the kids want, and adults too, with regard to pronouns, the selfie craze, the TikTok look-at-me craze, etc. Are you aware of the thousands of TikTok videos of young, scandally-dressed girls doing evocative solo dances in front of the selfie cam? Right. Not, Not a good thing. So, for example, if a person doesn't acquiesce and start memorizing every sort of craziness in sexual preference, they will then be accused of committing a hate crime. What more entitlement could anyone place on themselves? We see this in racial issues as well. No one seems to be able to look at anyone sideways without being called a racist, a white privileged a-hole, or worse. The problem pervades the culture so deeply and so persuasively that it's impossible not to be confronted with it in almost every situation. So what happened to relationships where where each participant has some duty and obligation to the other? What has happened in families where there used to be tolerance for differences and flexibilities regarding each other's needs? What happened to communities where people all work together for common goals in decency, character development, moralities, and good citizenry? And I don't mean common goals such as mask wearing, social distancing, or vaccinations. It's all gone, or so it seems. And is this all in the name of diversity, individualism, uniqueness, and specialness? Todd Hyen says, in fact, as much as they tout diversity, there actually is no tolerance for it anymore. Everyone's equal, remember? Individualism has become narcissism and self-absorption with the requirement that everyone else verifies and defines the individual. Uniqueness and specialness has been squeezed into a very strange form of treat me like everyone else or you're going to get in trouble. In a very odd and strange way, the very thing people are claiming they want is the exact opposite of what they demand they get. No one wants to be seen as unique. They all want to be the winner. No one wants to be an individual. They all want to be identified as something with a rigid dogmatic definition. No one certainly wants to be special because they might be treated differently. And besides, being unique and special requires hard work, sacrifice, and discipline. So Todd Hyen says, in my very humble opinion, we need to return to a culture where people define themselves, and as long as they're not hatefully labeled as something denigrating and derogatory, others need not define them. We need to learn to love one another as of equal value, but not equal in what makes us unique. We need to allow others among us to excel in certain skills that we admire and reward them for, and what we may personally be deficient in. 
We need to understand the value of hard, decent work to better ourselves, to better the family we belong to, and the tribe we call our own. We need to understand it isn't always about ourselves, but about others around us as well. We need to understand that the skills we develop are skills we will personally benefit from, as well as benefiting the partner, the family members, and the communities to which we belong. What we develop as a human being is a personal accomplishment as well as an accomplishment for the entire human race. Now he says, tall order, right? Yeah, I don't expect anything like this to change all that radically anytime soon. And again, the slow indoctrination into a self-absorbed culture was intentionally implemented primarily through our education system. Now that's something to keep in mind. So our work, he says, must begin in the home and in our communities. It is bottom-up work and is essential in bringing back any semblance of normalcy into an impoverished humanity. Absolutely love it. OffGuardian.org definitely has some great writers. Todd is one of my favorites. All right, one final note. I'm just going to touch on this very briefly because we only have about a minute left. Daylight savings time is coming. And uh, I'm, I'm not looking forward to this for, for obvious reasons. It just screws with my body clock. But uh, rather than give you a long, prolonged rant about why daylight savings time sucks... No, instead, I'm going to ask you to check out my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Laura Grant had an article published by the Foundation for Economic Education back in 2016 about how daylight savings time literally kills people. And she goes into the history of it. She goes into, you know, the different effects that it has. And she's not kidding. It's, uh, it, it's the kind of thing that uh, it, it can upset your body clock enough that Yes, people have workplace accidents. People have car accidents. There are certain health benefits, you know, that, uh, that you lose when you lose sleep as well. Just a little something to keep in mind. Besides the fact that it's inconvenient. And I still haven't gotten over the fact that as a kid, it always robbed us of one hour of precious daylight that we could have used to hunt pheasants when we were uh, teenagers. I know. I never quite got over that. It didn't seem fair. Thanks again for joining us. Please check out my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show.